so very often, Christmas is difficult like Easter is difficult for those of us who have the awesome task, the awesome responsibility, and the wondrous joy of sharing God's Word with you. It is always a difficulty to come at these familiar passages with some new type of spin on them, if you will. Some way to actually look at these things and bring something that we haven't seen before. And for this morning, I really believe that the Lord has a message for us. And though it's not found in a traditional Christmas passage, it is perhaps the most biblical of all Christmas passages because it really tells the story of God with us. If Jesus did not become man, if he did not come to this earth and live a sinful, sinless life in a sinful world, if he had stayed in heaven, then we would all be lost. And so this morning, the real Christmas story. As you turn there to the book of Philippians to the second chapter, let's pray. Father, what can we say? What offering could we give? What bent posture could we take to say thank you for what you did by sending Jesus to this wretched planet? Lord, this place where he would be beaten and bruised and crucified and killed in our place. Lord, where he came to that manger filled with pauper straw. God, we give you this morning, we give you our lives. We give you all that we are, all that we ever hope to be. God, that for a few moments you would speak to us. Receive our adoration, Jesus. We pray that you would talk to us this morning as your as your children. Teach us your word. We ask these things in the blessed name of our Emmanuel, Jesus. Amen. The reality of Christmas for many of us is almost impossible to to really put a finger on. I don't know how many of you had an opportunity in these last few days to travel to Ontario Mills or Victoria Gardens or Citrus Plaza, but I don't believe you found Jesus there. <laughs> Could be wrong, I know. Brandon and I didn't. We were out shopping yesterday. We We didn't find Jesus. And I want to be really careful here because I'm not trying to be your Ebenezer Scrooge this morning. (laughs) I'm not trying to be the Grinch who stole your Christmas. But I do believe that we as the body of Christ need to take just a bit of time and remember what Christmas is all about. Because it's not that. Yeah, I was looking over, I saw a TV program and I was watching it. And I was just sitting there looking at all these Christmas lights and decorations and if, if you'll notice, there is a manger in the middle of this particular Christmas, but look at the clutter. 
Look at the stuff. Look at the things. Look at the distractions that you find here. There, there's candy and cookies and trains and gingerbread men, and, and none of these things are wrong. I, I love gingerbread people. I, I can't say gingerbread men anymore because it's politically incorrect. Gingerbread people. <clears throat> I like to eat them. I, I, I love them as much as the next person. You know, I have no aim to destroy your family traditions this morning. That's not my purpose. I, I don't want you to not enjoy the joy of this season of gathering together with family. But truly, it's not what Christmas is about. And it shouldn't be what Christmas is about. When you realize what happened, I think for many people, the reality of Christmas is, to some degree, wrapped up in Santa Claus. It seems as that's almost the real meaning to many people. And it is the commercialization and all of those things that we see But the Christ that came, our Emmanuel, Emmanuel, it means to be man with God. And it means so much more than that. It means for us to really see who God is in Christ. And when Jesus came, He didn't come with wealth and indulgence. He didn't come with the angels of heaven. He came in humility and in poverty. He came as a babe. He didn't come with blinking lights. He he didn't come uh, with great fanfare. He came in complete and total obscurity. You would have had a difficult time even locating him were it not for the star in the heavens. BMWs somehow have replaced donkeys. Angels have been confused with flying reindeer. And then, of course, there's poor Mary and Joseph and Perry Como and Katy Perry and Bing Crosby and ho, ho, ho. It's confusing, isn't it? Now, I will tell you that we have never had Santa Claus in our house. If you have Santa Claus in your house, I'm not a party pooper. But there's a lot to be said for the similarity between Santa and Satan. The letters are similar, though I don't think that's the case. I think very often people lose Christ in Christmas. I read an article by an Episcopal pastor, actually he's from Upland, and he actually made the equivalence, as hard as it is to believe, that Santa Claus... Santa Claus somehow was a representation of Christ. That Santa Claus is God the Son. You better watch out. You better not. He he went on to do a whole message without using a single scripture reference. Not one. A year later, he was arrested for molesting a 14-year-old girl. So I wonder if maybe we ought to be careful about how we confuse what Christmas is all about. Santa Claus is not God the Father, Santa Claus is not God the Son, and Santa Claus is not God the Holy Spirit. 
And so it is from there that we face the reality of Christmas. That verse that's quoted in Matthew chapter 1 is actually from the book of Isaiah, written 700 years earlier. For behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. You ever thought about his name, Emmanuel? Because if God is not and has not dwelt with his people, then we of all people are most miserable. If it's all about Santa Claus, if it's all about money, if it's all about commercialism, if it's all about whose tree is the largest, whose tree is the biggest, whose house glows the most from outer space, you do realize there's a competition now to make your house glow from outer space. This morning I want to skip that confusion. Verse 5 here in Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind be in you. I want to show you just five simple realities of the incarnation of Emmanuel. Because Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. Which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Emmanuel. And being found in the appearance as a man. Emmanuel. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, please circle that, The reason is given. God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. It's clear who the he is. It's Jesus. It's verse 5. Given him. Our Emmanuel. The name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee. Wise men still bow at the name of Jesus. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Christmas, folks. That's Christmas. At the name of Jesus, not at the name of some brand of tequila, Not at the name of some automobile with a big bow on the top of it. 
Not at some Christmas party. Not at Santa Claus. Not at what can you get me now at the name of Jesus. Emmanuel. First thing I would share with you this morning, the Lord Jesus abandoned His sovereign position. You see, Jesus is unalterably and completely unchangeably God in His very essence. Jesus was and is God. And He came from heaven to this wretched earth, to a stinky manger, to imperfect parents, to a rancid world that He might give His life a ransom for us. Maybe your Christmas tree is bare. Maybe there's not a single present under it. But as a Christian, you've already been given the greatest gift anyone will ever get. God gave you His Son. The who here is our gift. Jesus left heaven. You think about what John's Gospel declares there so plainly in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God. He was with God in heaven. And it goes on to say that the Word became flesh. You ever thought about what Jesus did when he abandoned his sovereign position in heaven? He said, no more comforts of glory. No more angels singing my praises. No more luxury of the glories of things that are so magnificent that our human minds can't even describe them. He left heaven for us. But inside, internally, two words used in this passage. The Greek word morphe. That's the unchangeable. Being as the very essence of who you are. We are all human beings in this room. But we are all very different. Amen? We are human beings. That's why we're actually called human beings. We are morphe as humans. You'll never cease being a human. You're always going to be a human. You may be short. You may be tall. You may be rich. You may be poor. You may have, you may have not. You may be married, you may be single. You may live in America, you may live in the deepest depths of Africa. But you are, as a human, Morphe. Jesus was, as a being, Morphe, God. The very substance of who he was and is and always will be is God. But he came in the fashion 
the Shema. He put off what he was as God to become one of us. The external, the human frame, the frailty of the human body, the same elements, the same organs, the same eyes, the same ears, the same nose, the same hair, or lack thereof, as you and I. But Jesus, as he said in John 8, always was before Abraham was, I am. He didn't cease being God. That babe in a manger needed his diapers changed. But that babe in a manger was God eternal. He simply lowered himself to become one of us so that we could relate to him. Can you imagine? He didn't step out of eternity into this world like some alien being. He was found in form as a man. His external Shema was as a man. But his internal Morphe was always God. Can you imagine if he had come as God? Mary and Joseph would have vaporized. The glory of God would have consumed them. And everyone who would have seen him would have died. Because the glory of God cannot be revealed to man in its fullness and people live. Your Bible says so. So what did he do? He came as a crying, sniveling, whining baby just like the rest of us. But fully God. That's the mystery of Emmanuel, God with us. The unchanging, the internal, fully God. The external, fully man. You see, when we think on that, we can't really grasp it. But from God's position, easily done. He was the invisible God internally and the visible God externally. He made himself of no reputation. He took the glories of heaven and said for 32 years, I'm not going to be like that. Not because he couldn't. He wouldn't. Because none of us could have ever identified with him as God. Ever. Probably all of you have bumped into somebody who you would say is like really holy. You guys had that experience where just somebody's really walking with the Lord and you're like, wow, I'd love to be like that. I remember the first time I, I met Pastor Chuck, I thought, that's like shaking the hand of God. Then I realized he was just a man 
as godly a man as he was, he still couldn't keep his foot off the accelerator. (laughs) He's one of two people on this earth that have actually scared me so much I thought I was going to die in a car. (laughs) None of your personal stories need to be shared here. Tremendous man of God. But definitely not God. Jesus retained 100% of his being of God while being 100% a man just like you and I. That's why Romans 8.29 says that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed, morpheo, into the image of his Son, transformed internally into the image of Jesus. Not externally. Really wonderful when you think about it, because all of us can't look like Jesus. Can you imagine if all of us looked like Max von Sydow from The Greatest Story Ever Told? This isn't like that. It's internal, the character that who Jesus is is God. Because of who he is, we could become like that. You see, he abandoned his privilege while he was here on earth. And what it really says there is he emptied himself. There's a wonderful Greek word, it's kaneo, and from it we get kenosis. It means to voluntarily give up. It means to abandon or forsake. It's as if the royalty and and regal garments of the king were temporarily pulled off and they were put into a closet. He's still king. You've seen those shows, you know, Undercover Boss, to where the guy or the gal dresses up like somebody, you know, that works for him or whatever, and he's not in a suit, and he comes in and he's grimy, and or she's, you know, working the factory floor. You've seen that, yeah? Now imagine that you're the king of glory, what you would have to put off. To come and hang out with the people who despise you and use you and persecute you and hate you. What would you have to put off? You see, he willingly did that for you and I. Sometimes we think, well, what did he give up? A lot. Just a few things for you to think on this morning. What did Jesus give up? He gave up his glory, number one. Amen? These things are all found in the New Testament, by the way. We know, in fact, that Jesus didn't walk around glowing. He didn't have Shekinah coming off of the top of his head. Jesus got sweaty. He got dirty. He got down with us. He gave up His glory to be one of us. I don't know about you. You know how we dress up to go fancy places? We do that, right? You go on a, you know, you're going to go to a nice restaurant, you put on your finest clothes. We kind of like showing off, don't we? 
You've probably all had that experience of somebody getting a new car and they drive it around to every person's house that they know. Look, let me show you my new wheels. Jesus put off the glories of heaven. A second thing. And by the way, John 17 says, so we know what Jesus was talking about. And now, Father, glorify me with your own self, the glory which I had when I was with you before. That's what Jesus said. I had it. But I left it in heaven to come here. Isaiah 53 quoted in the Gospels. Jesus was despised. He was rejected. He gave up His honor. You ever thought about what Jesus had to give up to come here in lack of honor? He was spit on. His beard was plucked. He was castigated. He was arrested. He was treated like a common criminal. And yet He was gone. He gave up His honor. He gave up his riches there in Second Corinthians. He who was rich for our sakes became what? Poor. That through his poverty we might become rich. He gave up his glory. He gave up his honor. He gave up his riches. He gave up his favorable and I might add intimate relationship with his own father. You know, when push comes to shove, we value our relationship with our family, don't we? Jesus only had one member of his immediate family. That was Father God. And he said, God, I'm going to give that up. So much so that on the cross, what did he cry out? Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God. Dad. Father. Abba. Why have you forsaken me? Remember, he asked that it be kept. He said, Father God, if there be any way that this cup could pass from me, let it be so. He also gave up his independent exercise of his authority. John 6, he says, I have come to do your will, Father, not my own. Jesus was God. Think about that every time you find him getting confronted by the Pharisees. Think about that the night he got arrested. Think about that as he laid on the cross as they were putting the iron spikes into his hands and through his feet. He gave up his independent authority as God. He could have simply blinked and those Roman soldiers would have been vaporized. He could have spoken a word so powerful that everyone who ever said anything falsely against him would have been turned to dust. He could have created whatever he needed at any time. And in fact, was that not one of the temptations that he faced in the wilderness? Command that these stones be turned to bread. 
You're hungry, right, Jesus? Aren't you God? Use your power. Use your authority. Use your majesty. And Jesus said, oh no, I am Emmanuel. In man God. I came to do that. Master Chuck once told me one of the wisest things that I, I believe I've ever heard from the lips of the human being with regard to personal relationships and how people exercise them. He said, if you want to really know what a person's like, give them responsibilities. He said, and then give them privileges and see which ones they abuse. Most people will keep their responsibilities, but if you're really internally the right kind of person, it's the, it's the privileges that mark who you really are. You see, people like privilege. People use privilege. Jesus had the privileges of heaven, and he said, I'm not using them. Now, if all you all had full bank accounts, you got a couple hundred million dollars in your bank, can you imagine it going down at, you know, some birthday party and you're, well, you know, I really couldn't think of anything to get you. Now you'd be out buying not just ponies, whole herds of cattle. You'd be buying islands for your friends. You'd take those privileges that you have and you would use them probably to exalt yourself to some degree. Jesus had all of the privileges of heaven and yet he gave every last one of them up for you and me. You see, as he did that, he didn't lose any of his divine attributes. He didn't cease being God. He just simply chose not to use them. You talk about humility. You talk about restraint. Have you ever wondered what God thought as he looked on how Jesus was treated? If you want to get me riled up, if you really want to push me to the edge... Say something or do something towards my family. That's probably true for most of us, amen? You can say what you want towards me, generally speaking. I'm okay with that. I realize I'm a jerk. (laughs) I know my faults and weaknesses. I get it. I probably deserve whatever it is that you're going to say. I probably did it. But what happens when your kids become the focal point of that? Watch out, Papa Bear's on the loose. Amen? Imagine the restraint that God the Father and Jesus the Son underwent as Jesus walked on this earth. All of that power, all of that authority... Man. The third thing... 
He approached you and I, us. He approached the sinful people. If you had that kind of privilege, where would you choose to live? Isn't it interesting what happens with our famously wealthy athletes? Have you ever noticed they don't actually still live in the downtown Bronx? They don't actually have a home someplace in their old neighborhood in Detroit. And again, I'm being very careful here. This is not meant to be a racial issue. It's simply to say that by the environment that you live in, most people identify with that environment. But when people become wealthy, what do they do? They move into the most wealthy, prestigious places they can find. Amen? They move into gated communities. Amen? They drive fancy cars. Amen? You ever seen a rich athlete? I'll tell you what, LeBron James does not drive a Volkswagen thing. And he does not live in an apartment someplace in the inner city. He's got a 25,000 square foot mansion in South Florida in a gated community. What did Jesus do? He moved out of the mansion and moved in in a spare bedroom with us. He approached you and I. He didn't drop in like some visitor from outer space while I'm here. The glory of God shining out of his head. He was fully human and yet fully God and he dwelled with us. He was made in the likeness of men and found in the fashion of men. He ate what we ate. You know, back then they didn't have, you know, Betty Crocker sifted flour. Flour had rocks in it. When you bit into a piece of bread, most of the time you were going to chip your teeth. When you ate a fish out of you, ate some hunk of tilapia, you choked on the bones. Jesus was just like us. Sat down with us. Your thought about what it was like for him? He's sitting there with the disciples. He's sitting there with his parents. And he's weeping with them. He's rejoicing with them. He's suffering with them. He was fully like one of us. He didn't cling to those privileges he had. He didn't live in the gated community of heaven. You know, we call it couch surfing, right? You know, you end up on somebody's couch and you stay there for a while. It's not exactly what most people aspire to, right? Boy, I hope I never have my own home. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's what Jesus said about himself. He didn't even own a house much less a nice one. A fourth thing as we begin to wrap this up. Notice verse 8. He took this incredibly selfless posture. He could have been totally self-focused. He was God. Amen? He was Emmanuel. He was God with us, but he was still God, and yet he humbled himself. Can you see him as a little boy? He's working with his father. And maybe they've got an oxen that they're trying to build a yoke for. He created the oxen. He created the tree. And he's letting his dad kind of fumble through it. Amen? Think about it. 
He knew the tree down to the atomic structure of the cells. And he's watching his dad over there try and shape some piece of wood into some crude yoke that they can stick on the animal. He's washing the disciples' feet. And yet he actually designs their brains. He was hungry, but everything that everyone's eating came from him. Amen? He created all life, and yet he died for his own creation. Is that not weird? That's pretty crazy, isn't it? And to cap it off, he died a criminal's death on the cross. You know, you could almost see it if he just became some ancient sage, you know? Jesus was just on the earth and he spent maybe 70, 80 years, if by reason of strength, as Moses said, Jesus lived to be 80 and he just, in his golden years, he, you know, you could find him on some rock someplace just sitting there, just imparting wisdom to anyone who would come by. But no, he, he went out like that. He allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be tried. He he could have fought back as Pilate sitting there, you know, well, tell me, what's up with you? He could have made Pilate crawl into a little fetal position on the floor and weep like a baby. Just looking at him. It's like, what are you doing talking to me like this? Get over there. But in humility, he even put aside all of that knowledge and wisdom. All the power of God and allows these things to happen to him. He is Emmanuel. You see, that's the real meaning of Christmas. It's one thing to die. It's yet another thing. To die the death of the cross. Jesus didn't just die for you. He was brutally murdered for you. For me. You talk about a Christmas gift. You're never going to be able to beat that one. All the things that we go hunt down in the store. Never are we going to get. We're we're not even in the same universe of gift giving. Of what we've already received in Christ. Pain, unimaginable pain, incomprehensible humility. Have you ever thought in your own mind what you would have done had you been God? I know I'm weird and I'm the only one who does those kind of things, but I think of that. What would you know? How would I have solved that dilemma? I'm a problem solver. That's just who I am. My fundamental human nature—that's who I am. It's like I see something, I try and figure out a way to fix it. You ever thought what you would have done? Wouldn't have been what Jesus did, I can tell you that. I'd have never made it. Never would have made it. Might have got through the spitting, might have gotten through the beard plucking, maybe the first illegal trial, but not six of them after about the second one. Okay, I'm over. That's what I would have done. I'm over it. Y'all ain't getting it. This ain't happening. I'm done. That's about as far as I would have got. I would have never got to the cross. 
I, I've been dialing up Father God going, we need a new planet. <laughs> this one's not so good. And yet he went to that shameful death. The final end of Emmanuel, notice what it says. And therefore, remember what I said? And therefore, wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name. And you can put in there title, rank, position. Those things all apply. It's above every other name, title, rank, or position. That at the name of Jesus, Yahushua, our God who is of Himself salvation, is also Emmanuel. Do you get it? Our God who is salvation in and of Himself is also God with his people. That's who Emmanuel is. So when you sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, you're saying, Lord Jesus, come. You talk about a worship song. And notice he says, every knee in heaven, every knee on the earth. Every knee under the earth. It doesn't matter where you reside. One day, every knee will do what the wise men did. Bow before Emmanuel. You see, when he was here, he didn't get worship. He got condemnation, didn't he? Every knee should bow. But not every knee has bowed, but one day every knee will bow because of who Jesus is. You don't want to wait until Judgment Day. That's the gift. That's how you receive the gift that's bowing the knee now. So, what's the Christmas story? Emmanuel, God with us. That babe in the major is the best gift you will ever get. It's the only gift that matters eternally. Now notice what Paul said. Let this mind be in you. We talk about the Christmas spirit. Remember Ebenezer Scrooge? He's looking for it. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future. There's only one spirit of Christmas. Let this mind be in you, which was also in him, who didn't consider it robbery, even though being in the form God And yet, like us, Emmanuel, Jesus came so that we might have life. That's the Christmas story. And the gift he gave was himself. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we just humbly ask this morning, as we begin this week, where we celebrate the birth of our Emmanuel, Lord Jesus, that you came to this sin-filled world, not seeing it as a problem, but as a privilege. Lord, not looking at us as something to be despised, but to be redeemed. Lord, we thank you for that greatest gift. And we pray this week that we would just find a little of you in all that we do, in all that we say, everywhere we go, that we would have an answer. Lord, help us boldly just simply say Merry Christmas. Lord, help us to live in a way that brings you glory and honor and praise. Help us in our quiet time to have bowed knees, humble hearts. Let this mind be in us. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.